This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. I remember when I was in grade school many, many years ago, we used to talk about the saints who seemed to us to be from the far distant past. But today, in our time, we've had our saints too, but they seldom make the evening news. Better still, pick up today's newspaper, and I'll bet that you'll have a hard time finding a story about God. You see, he's not politically correct. But in our time, God has sent us messengers, some who have become saints and some who will be saints to get our attention. So today, I want to tell you about a very special 20th century saint with a message for us you and me, from him. And maybe we better pay attention because he may be getting fed up. Our story for today starts back in 1905 in Gluckowicz, near Lodz in Poland. A young girl was born, the third of ten children. Her name was Helena Kowalska, and she lived with her family in a small cottage built of stone with an earthen floor. That was a rough period in Polish history. Much unrest and dissatisfaction with everything was in the air. So strikes, protests, and political intrigues were a common happening. But in Helena's village, somehow they were insulated against those disorders. Farming and hard work was the practice of the day, and the heavy workloads of the whole family didn't seem to give them time for those kinds of activities. Helena's family was poor, and her father often worked as a carpenter just to make ends meet. But the family spirit was healthy, and they lived good, solid, and happy lives. Helena learned her faith from her mother, who taught her how to say short prayers as part of her conversation with God. Her mother would often tell of Helena waking up in the early hours of the morning when she was just six years of age, and when she was told to go back to sleep, would tell her mother that her guardian angel must have awakened her to pray. A year later, at the age of just seven, Helena was in church for Vespers when something very strange seemed to happen. She couldn't explain it, but while she was praying, she had a very clear feeling that God was speaking to her, directly to her, giving her a very personal invitation to live a more perfect life. The feeling of that invitation and moment would forever be etched in her memory. It was so real, and she wanted to speak about it, but she knew no one to whom she felt comfortable in helping to explain its meaning. Well, the years passed, World War I had a horrible impact on the Kowalskas, and they were barely able to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table. It was particularly hard for Helena because she had to work as best she could and had only the first three years of a grade school education. She was unskilled and untrained and barely able to find work as a maid. Well, the months passed, and... As in her youth, Helena prayed a great deal, but there was something else, strange. At night, as she said her prayers in bed, there seemed to be a bright light that would keep her awake. When she was about 19 in 1924, 
something happened to her that would change her life forever. She had attended a dance with her sister. The music was playing. People were laughing, smiling, and dancing. Everything seemed bright and cheerful. And then Helena, smiling with the gaiety of the evening, turned. Her eyes widened, and she thought she saw Jesus standing next to her, just as real as anything. She froze in her place, and and then he spoke. He said, How long shall I put up with you, and how long will you keep putting me off? Helena would later say that though the music was still playing, she didn't hear it, and as suddenly as it appeared, the vision vanished, and she ran out of the building down the street and into the cathedral of St. Stanislaus Koska. Even though there were a few people in the church at the time, Helena prostrated herself before the altar, pleading with the Lord to tell her what he wanted her to do. And then the silence was broken again. She heard the words, Go at once to Warsaw. You will enter a convent there. Well, Helena immediately ran home, packed a few things, She told her sister what she was going to do, but not her parents, knowing that they would stop her. The following morning, she left for Warsaw, taking only the clothes she was wearing. And arriving in the large city, the girl from the tiny village prayed to the Virgin Mary to know what she should do. She had an interior message that instructed her to go to the outskirts of the city where she would find safe lodging for the night which she did. And in the morning she arose and entered the first church she saw and prayed for guidance and then received another message during Mass. Go to that priest and tell him everything. He will tell you what to do. Well, you could only imagine the priest's reaction. He was flabbergasted but told her she must trust in Jesus and he would send her to a pious lady whom he knew and she should stay with her until she could enter the convent. Well, the lady liked her and hired her immediately as a maid. Now, convents were poor and young girls entering religious life at that time needed a kind of dowry. Well, her wages, which she would save, would help her to meet this need. She stayed and immediately started to save her money. But convent after convent she would visit would all reject her. After all, she was an uneducated girl from the farm. After so many rejections, Helena was feeling discouraged and prayed, saying, Help me. Don't leave me alone. And then she went to another convent, the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. She knocked on the door and finally met with the Mother Superior and told her that she wanted to enter the convent. The Superior almost dismissed her like the others, but then said, Go into the chapel and pray, and then ask Jesus if he will accept you. Well, Helena did as she was told, and after a while returned, saying, He accepted me. And the Mother Superior said very simply, Then I, too, will accept you. And that is how Helena entered the convent. She worried constantly about being able to fulfill the wishes of Jesus and prayed for help. 
She again heard her voices. Do not be surprised with trials. God will be there, and the Blessed Mother will comfort you. And so, on the 20th of April in 1926, Helen took her habit and was now known as Sister Faustina. Incidentally, Faustina means happy, fortunate, or holy one. She she wanted to be known as Sister Mary Faustina of the Blessed Sacrament, and after making her perpetual vows, she was the only sister of her class to remain in Krakow. After telling the Mother Superior that she only wished to do God's will, she was sent to Vilnius, where she was assigned the job of gardener. She was perplexed because she knew no one in Vilnius, and part of her concern was that she was shown in her visions an image of the priest who was to become her spiritual director as well as her mentor, and his image was as clear to her as if she were carrying his picture. The priest, who had been her previous spiritual advisor, had been very helpful, but he was not the priest of her vision. She was told of the priest in her vision, he will help you fulfill my will here on earth. Arriving at Vilnius, Helena, now Sister Faustina, was happy at Vilnius and was warmly received by the 18 sisters who lived there. And then came the day for her confession. After completing her examination of conscience, she headed for the confessional. And what was to happen next was like a miracle and would have a profound effect on her entire life. Met her confessor and, well, perhaps it may be better to use her words. She wrote, My heart seemed to leap in my throat. I seemed frozen in space. There before me was Father Michael Sopako, the priest I had seen in my vision, the priest Jesus had shown me who would assist me in carrying out his will. While she poured out her heart to Father Sopako, and he helped build her confidence in herself to indeed do the will of God. As Jesus had promised her, Father Sopako did everything that Jesus had told her he would do. Not too much later, Sister Faustina's health began to fail. Her suffering for the souls of mankind had started. Because of her deteriorating health, she was sent away several times in an attempt to find a place that was helpful, but they all proved futile. One Friday in March, Sister Faustina saw the image of the suffering Jesus, who leaned toward her and said, My daughter, help me to save sinners. At that moment, a burning desire to save souls filled her to the point of ecstasy. Jesus had asked of Sister Faustina to be a victim soul. Now, a victim soul is a person who wishes to be as much like Jesus as possible. In a vision, Jesus showed Sister Faustina her future in the convent and all of the agonies of her future life there. And in that vision, she saw the deterioration of her health and watched as her young body became diseased, distorted, and tormented. When the vision was over, her forehead was bathed in sweat. 
She later wrote that she had been told that she could refuse this illness and he would not lessen her graces, but she freely gave her consent. In one vision, she experienced Jesus resplendent in glory and she was filled with a sense of God's love. And then, just as quickly, Jesus was stripped of his clothes and covered with blood, his eyes glassy with tears as he murmured to her, the bride must resemble the bridegroom. In addition to her physical problems caused by what was diagnosed as tuberculosis, she began to suffer severe pains in her hands, her feet, and her side. She had received an invisible stigmata. Later in the day, Sister had been reading an account of the canonization of St. Andrew Babala, and she began to weep like a child because there had never been a saint who was canonized from her order of sisters. And she prayed to the Lord, I know your generosity, and it seems to me that you are less generous to us. Of course, she was speaking of her order. But then the Lord answered her, Do not cry. You are that saint. Her soul was flooded with light, and she saw what more she was to suffer, and asked the Lord how this was to come about. She was told, It is not for you to know how this will come about. Your duty is to be faithful to my grace, and to do always what is within your power, and what obedience allows you to do. In the convent, Sister Faustina was considered a nun of the second choir because of her sparse education. At various times, she was the cook, gardener, portress, and custodian. Very few of the sisters had any idea of the extraordinary events in her life, and only when the devotion to the divine mercy began did they learn of the wonders who lived so quietly among them, the wonders of Sister Faustina. One sister years later summed it up perfectly when she said, but she was so simple. Probably one of the most important of the many dramatic moments of her life was when Jesus appeared to her in a vision and asked her to have a portrait painted as she saw him in the vision. It was his wish that this picture, with the phrase, Jesus, I trust in you, be a part of the picture and would be the means by which people would be identified with and be motivated to both seek and take advantage of his boundless mercy. In the picture, we see him in the white robes with his hand raised, blessing those who come to see his mercy while the other hand touches his heart, which sends forth rays, one white and one red. Sister asked Jesus the meaning of the rays and was told, the two rays denote blood and water. The pale ray is water, which makes souls righteous, the waters of baptism, and the red ray represents the blood of the Eucharist. Jesus made a promise to Sister Faustina when he said, Paint an image according to the pattern you see with the signature, Jesus, I trust in you. I desire that this image be venerated first in your chapel and then throughout the world. I promise that the soul who will venerate this image 
will not perish. He also told sister, my gaze from this image is like my gaze from the cross. This was her call to be the apostle of divine mercy. And Jesus told Sister Faustina, Mankind will not have peace until it turns with trust to my mercy. Perhaps that is the very essence, the very reason for the many blessings she received, to pass this message to a sinning world where God is becoming the uninvited, and we try to change his rules. Think about it. Mankind will not have peace until it turns with trust to my mercy. Well, later in Vilnius, she works with an artist to paint the image as she described it to him. There were false starts, and she was brokenhearted because the artist could not come close to capturing the beauty that was Christ. After so many false starts, she broke down in tears, rushing to the chapel, crying, Who will paint you as beautiful as you are? And the response was immediate. Not in the beauty of the color nor of the brush lies the greatness of this image, but my grace. She finally accepted the picture as we know it, as the visual symbol of Christ's love but not his beauty. At first, her confessor thought Jesus meant for her to paint this in her heart, but Jesus made this very clear to sister that this was not the case. And so the picture was completed, but Sister Faustina's job was just starting. Jesus commanded her to spend the rest of her life as his secretary, recording in her diary the hundreds of pages she wrote in secret with a scratchy pen. She was called to write down everything the Lord made known to her about his mercy for the benefit of others, or of us. She was told, Apostle of my mercy, proclaim to the world my unfathomable mercy. Do not be discouraged by the difficulties you encounter in proclaiming my mercy. These difficulties that affect you so painfully are needed for your sanctification and as evidence that this work is mine. He went on to add, Write, before I come as a just judge, I first open the door of my mercy. He who refuses to pass through the door of my mercy must pass through the door of my justice. With scratchy pen and all, despite her rapidly failing health, she completed the book, now popularly selling throughout the world with more than 600-plus pages, and known simply as The Diary of Sister Faustina. And through all of this, she was to receive the loving support and dedicated care of Father Michael Sopako, just as she had been shown. He had great faith in her as a true messenger sent by God. He was convinced of everything she told him, everything but one small point, and that was when she was ill and longed to receive the sacrament of communion. She said that an angel had brought her communion. She was moved several more times to different convents where she could receive more intensive care. 
Finally, they knew the end was near, and her beloved confessor visited her for the last time, and as he described it, she no longer needs to speak to me because she is in communion with the Heavenly Father. On his last visit, she confided to Father Sapaco the date of her impending death as told to her by Jesus. Several days before her death, one of the sisters asked her, Are you afraid of death, sister? And in her weakened condition, Sister Faustina asked, Why? All my sins and imperfections will be consumed like straw in the fire of divine mercy. Toward the end of her life, she would speak of a terrible war that was coming and how badly Poland would be affected. But even with enemy present, the nuns would never leave their convent. Most thought she was referring to a war for souls, but it was the Second World War about which she was speaking, and she was right. The Nazis ordered the nuns to leave the convent many times, and on each demand the nuns would rush to her grave and pray for her intercession, and no, they never left. On October 5, 1938, at the age of just 33, Sister Faustina confided to another nun, The Lord will take me home today. She asked for something to ease her pain, and then paused and thought for a moment and said, Never mind, deciding against it in order to fulfill God's will to the very end. At 10.45 in the evening, Sister Faustina raised her eyes heavenward as if in ecstasy, and then quietly departed this life for her eternal reward in heaven. Everyone present said that almost immediately upon her death, her emaciated body seemed to take on an unearthly beauty. Even more compelling than many of the words of Father Sopako was the account he wrote in his memoirs. He wrote, She gives the impression of an unearthly being. No longer have I the least doubt that what is found in her diary concerning Holy Communion being administered to her by an angel is true. God provides. Although unnoticed by the world, another event took place less than a month after Sister Faustina's death. At the beginning of November in 1938, a young man left his home in Venevici to begin studying for the priesthood at a seminary in Krakow. That seminarian was Carol Wotia, the future John Paul II. The lives of these two holy people from the Polish heartland would forever be entwined in God's eternal plan for our time. During her lifetime, Sister Faustina, like Padre Pio, had the gift of bilocation, being in two places at the same time. She was often transported to the side of the dying to intercede for them by praying the chaplet of divine mercy. Sister Faustina Kowalska was canonized as saint by Pope John Paul II as the first saint of the third millennium. And Jesus asked us through Saint Faustina as part of divine mercy to remember his death at three o'clock in the afternoon and if only for a moment to pause and immerse oneself with his passion. He said, 
In this hour, I will refuse nothing to the soul who makes a request of me in virtue of my passion. He asked for the veneration of his portrait of divine mercy. He taught Sister Faustina this phrase, O blood and water which gushed from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us, I trust in you. And he asked for the enthronement of his portrait of divine mercy. And using our rosary beads, he asks us to praise the chaplet of divine mercy. And Jesus asked Sister Faustina to pray and work to have established the feast of divine mercy on the Sunday following Easter to be the feast of divine mercy as a refuge and shelter for all souls. He said, On that day the very depths of my tender mercy are open, and I pour out whole oceans of graces upon those souls who approach the fount of mercy. The soul that will go to confession and receive Holy Communion on this day shall obtain complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. On that day all the divine floodgates through which flow graces are open. And let no soul feel reluctant to draw near to me, even though its sins be as scarlet. Pretty direct words for us not to ignore. He said, I bear a special love for Poland, and if she will be obedient to my will, I will exalt her in might and holiness. From her will come forth the spark that will prepare the world for my final coming. From that period in time, he brought us St. Maximum Colby, John Paul II, and St. Faustina. Could these be the sparks of which he speaks? It is well to remember the words of John Paul II when he ascended to the throne of Peter. He wrote, quote, Right from the beginning of my ministry at St. Peter's See in Rome, I considered the message of divine mercy my special task. Providence has assigned it to me in the present situation within the church and the world. And he goes on to say, We live in the most violent century in human history. And that was the 20th century. We've been given notice. We have the chance for mercy, but will we take advantage of it? Well, the answer is up to us. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.